Ecclesiastes 6. As we make our way through this book, I want to continue to encourage you that at times there will be certain themes that seem repetitious, but that's because the Word of God repeats things for us. It helps us to understand the Word of God. If you would please stand with me as we look at our text this morning, Ecclesiastes chapter 6. Hear now the word of the Lord that is inerrant, sufficient, and authoritative. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness its name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place? All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the living? Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and a striving after wind. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, and that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which he passes like a shadow. For who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this, your word. We pray, O Lord, that you would bless us by it, that by your Holy Spirit, you would work in our hearts by faith, that we might truly see the work of your Son, our magnificent Savior, For it is in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. Please be seated. One of my favorite actors of all time is Danny Kaye. Some of you remember those movies and the various mixing of musical and comedy and and kids... If you have an opportunity, even though those movies are old, they were old when I was a kid and watched them. And Danny Kaye had a way about timing and comic genius. And in one of those movies, perhaps in more than one, they sort of blur in my mind, sometimes uh, Danny's involved in a fight with a villain. And you may have seen this in other films as well, where they're in a fight and the villain takes out a sword and comes at Danny. 
And he looks around and he sees on the wall, he sees a sword. And so he pulls it off and he's ready to defend himself. And he puts the sword out and the man hits the sword and guess what happens? It's made of like cardboard or wood. And it chops Danny's sword in half. And then usually what he does is look at it with that look on his face. Throw it off and then run. Right? Okay, that's funny and that's, you know, another little pop culture reference. But... There's a truth behind that. You see, in that instance, in a movie, Danny was trusting in something to protect him. He was trusting that that sword was sufficient and real enough and sturdy enough to protect his very life. And he found out far too quickly, to his shock and alarm, that that was not very good security. And that he better drop it and run and find something better to trust it. That's interesting when it's a funny movie. That sort of thinking is critical when it comes to life. Because you see, we all have our little Danny K-isms. We have things that we trust in. Things that we are so sure because of the way they look or sound or feel are enough to protect us and provide us with security. But you see, in the final analysis, there's only one place to turn for security and protection. And that is in the Holy One of Israel, the Rock of Israel, the Lord God Almighty. It is only in Him, in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work, that real security is found. And so Solomon, as he continues taking us on our tour through life, begins to describe for us the difficulties of trusting and trying to find security in other things, that it naturally leads to an unfulfilled life. And he's going to describe for us that unfulfilled life. And then as we prepare to come to the Lord's table, we'll see where real fulfillment and security is found. Well, the first thing let us look at is a life that is unfulfilled It's unfulfilled because of false security. Look with me, if you would, at the beginning of chapter 6. Solomon begins, There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. You see, Solomon here is following up on, he talked about money in chapter 5. We looked at that last week. And he's drawing again this distinction between the fact that there are two kinds of gifts from God. There are gifts of wealth and possession, and there are gifts, the gift of the power to enjoy the wealth and possession. You see, as we said last week, wealth itself is not bad. We don't want to be overly simplistic with the scripture and say, well, we don't want to be greedy. We don't want to be beholden to money. So therefore, we're going to walk around in rags and give everything we have or throw it away. No. Augustine put it this way. He said, lest we think that wealth itself were evil, God gives it to the good. And lest we think that wealth is great, he gives it to the evil as well. You see, money, wealth, property, things in themselves are neutral. It is the way in which we deal with them and the way in which we place our trust either in them or not. 
And so God gives two types of gifts. The first is wealth itself, and the second is the power to enjoy it. The problem here is, is that oftentimes we don't have the power to enjoy it. But this power to enjoy it doesn't come from the modern mentality. The modern mentality about money is this. I can't enjoy my money until I have so much of it that I'm not worried about it. If I just had a little bit more, then I could give some away, and I would still have what I need, right? It's sort of like, if I owned three cars, I wouldn't mind giving one away, because I've only got two drivers, right? If I owned two houses, I wouldn't mind giving my second house away, because I've still got a house. But you see here, Solomon says, that's not the case. He says he doesn't have power to enjoy wealth, even though... He lacks nothing that he desires. You see, an attitude toward wealth, money, is a result of the gift of God, of the work of God in the heart of a man, a woman, or a child. It doesn't matter whether you have a nickel, or $5,000, or $5 million in the bank. The amount of money can move up and down. It's the heart that's important. That's why on Black Friday, a couple of decades ago, they asked a man who lost, I don't know what it was, $40, $50 million. They said, what do you think? And everyone was nervous. And he said, markets adjust. That's what happens. Because his heart was not placed in that treasure. You see, he doesn't lack anything that he desires, and yet still he's unhappy. We see this all the time, don't we, kids? How many of you have said this? I'm bored and there's nothing to do. And how many times have your parents responded with, I got no room to put anything because there's toys everywhere. You've got bikes, you've got games, you've got books, you've got action figures, you've got a baseball glove, you've got a soccer ball, you've got a basketball. What do you mean there's nothing to do? You see, it's not that you don't have anything. It's an attitude of the heart. You know what happens when you grow up, kids? That happens too. With men, it happens oftentimes with electronics. They want the latest gizmo, the latest gadget. You've got a perfectly good cell phone. There's a better one out. You want it. There's a perfectly good computer. There's a faster one out. You want it. Guilty as charged. Guilty as charged. My wife said to me that what you need to do what your part of thinking about sacrificing with the building campaign is not buying any more gadgets. Because you've always got to have the latest gadget. For others of you, it might be something different. For ladies, it might be something with crafts. For some of you, it might be a vacation. But you see, it's not what we have that causes us to be upset. It's our way we look at what we have. And this lack of enjoyment follows through in the sense that we can't enjoy it, but rather a stranger enjoys it, Solomon says. That seems a little bit cryptical, but when you think about it in terms of history, think about it in terms of the text that was read by Steve this morning from Nehemiah, talking about the power and the wealth of the Persian Empire. 
And then think about what happened just a little bit later when a man by the name of Alexander came and took it all away. And you know where the Persians got all their wealth and money? They took it all from a bunch of people called the Babylonians. And we don't even know where they are anymore. Jack Van Impey thinks it's Saddam Hussein and the Iraqis, but we don't even know who the Babylonians are anymore. You see, that's what happens. Life goes on. We can't keep things forever. It moves and moves. Been reminded, you think about this anytime there's a, a death in the family, was reminded thinking about inheritance tax. Talk about a stranger enjoying something, right? Any of you have ever inherited anything? 55% of what that person saved and worked very hard for goes who knows where. It's probably buying a $500 toilet seat or a bridge to nowhere in Alaska, right? It's our attitude that's important. You see, this security that we place in money leads not just to a lack of enjoyment, but look at what it says in verse 1 and then again in verse 2. It calls it a grievous evil. Now, I want you to note something. How does verse 1 begin? There is an evil that I have seen, and it lies heavy on mankind. I've left something out, haven't I? What have I left out? Our little refrain, under the sun. You see, the Bible repeats things and has words for important reasons. There is an evil to those who are under the sun, who live life on a flat plane, never looking up, never thinking about heaven, never thinking about God. To them, money is evil because it's what they trust in. This is our refrain. You see, just because we think something should work out well doesn't mean that it will. This is a grievous evil. It's a horrible thing, Solomon's saying, to have everything you could possibly want. That's kind of a flip, isn't it? I thought it would be a grievous thing to not have what I needed, not have money to cover the medical bills, not have money to pay the mortgage, not have a car that works. No, Solomon says, for you to have everything you could possibly desire is a grievous evil. And actually, the word here for evil is disease in verse 2. It's a grievous disease. And the key here is that it is life lived out under the sun. The word here that's used for heavy also can mean much or many. So it's not just that it's a heavy burden on people. Solomon says it's common. Look around. I invite you this week. Look around the office. And the people that you know that don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, you can almost see the weight on them. Look around your neighborhood. And the people who don't know the Lord Jesus Christ and don't trust in Him, it doesn't matter what's in the bank account, what they have, there's a burden on them. It's a false sense of security placed in money. But there's another sense of false security, and that's in reputation. For you see, in verse 2, God doesn't only give wealth and possessions, but he also gives honor. The word there for honor is a word that's often even used of God. When God says to Moses, I will get honor on Pharaoh, that's the word he uses. Weighty is the Hebrew word. It's a seriousness, a weight. Honor, the kind of honor that causes when an important person comes in the room, conversations hush and stop. 
Because he's a person of substance. You see, this man has honor. This wealth has brought fame as well. And we see that all the time, don't we? Lottery winners become famous. TV stars, music stars, athletic players. They become famous as a result of what they do and the means that they have. But you see, that is also a grievous evil. Trusting in your fame. There are people who live life thinking that everything is free. If I just walk around, people will give me things because they should. Have you ever seen that in the news? Oftentimes these entertainers who make more money in a year than all of us make together in a lifetime expect everything to be given to them for free. You see how they steal combs and and shampoo and different things at Oscar parties and they they don't return dresses and they they don't return cars because they just think they deserve it. You see, it's an attitude of the heart. They have plenty of money to buy these things, but they think that their reputation gets them whatever they want or desire. There's also a different kind of reputation that Solomon's talking about here. You may not recognize it as such. He says, If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many years, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. Now some of you may be thinking, a hundred children? Okay, that's a lot. All right. I'm pretty sure that even the Campbell physical house wouldn't be able to sleep comfortably a hundred. That's a lot. But you see, this is something that we have totally lost in our modern age. You see, children are a blessing. And you see, in the ancient world, one of the ways in which you became secure in your, prosper, in your posterity was to have children. Some of you may be familiar with the the story of the Iliad or the story of Achilles and how he goes out, goes and fights, even though he's told that he will die at Troy. And he says, there are two ways that a man's name can live on. He can either have many children and live to a ripe old age and bounce them on his knee, or he can die a glorious death. And he chooses the latter. But you see, so many choose the former. That's why the Bible talks about Children being a heritage from the Lord. And why being barren, as Samuel's mother was, Hannah, was such a difficulty and a burden. You see, that was the way in which you were secure your name would live on. That you would be, in a sense, eternal. But you see, Solomon says you can't trust in that either. If you have a hundred kids, if you have more kids than you could ever think you could have, that will still be a grievous evil. You can't trust in that. Now, we're going to see this as we go through, but Solomon doesn't talk a good game here because Solomon did have a hundred kids. He had more than a hundred children. He had all the wealth that you could possibly imagine. And do you know who got all of Solomon's stuff at the end, or at least a good portion of it? A stranger by the name of Jeroboam. He only left a small portion to his son. You remember the divided kingdom? Ten of the twelve tribes went to a complete stranger. Solomon is giving you words from experience here. You listen to him. 
If you want to know how to do woodwork, you talk to Daryl, not me. If you want to know how to do mechanical stuff, you talk to Duke, not me. If you want somebody to help you draft a will or read a bank document, you probably want to talk to me instead of those two. We all have our areas of expertise. Solomon's area of expertise is life and meaning in life because he's seen it all, tried it all. Well, you say, well, I'm not worried about money and I'm not worried about my reputation. I just want to live out a good long life and do whatever good I can. Solomon says, strike three. You can't find security in a long life either. He says, if you have a hundred children and live many years, you know how many years? If you live a thousand years times two, it's still a grievous evil. What? Who's the oldest person in the history of the world, children? What's his name? He's in the Bible. He lives 969 years. Who is it? It's Methuselah, right? Solomon says you live twice as long as Methuselah plus some. You won't have security. You can't find meaning there. And we think we can find security if we just make it to 82 or 85, right? Solomon says not a chance because everyone goes to the same place. But there's a great irony here, because we know from this book that not everybody goes to the same place, right? Everyone goes to the same place in the sense of the grave, but the same final destination does not await everyone. Those who trust in their long life, and those who trust in their wealth, and those who trust in their reputation... They go to a place where God is not found. An eternal punishment is. They go to a place called hell that we don't like to talk about. But you see, Solomon says, those who trust in the Lord God, you can have a large family. You can have wealth. You can have a good reputation. You can have a long life. But the key is that you are trusting in the Lord. And the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there your destination is very different. It is a place where eternal bliss is found. Where eternal, not just long life, eternal life is found. Where not just worldly wealth is found, but treasures in heaven beyond your greatest imagination. Where your reputation is one of the sons and daughters of God. You see, that is where we are to trust Well, some of us live a life perhaps unfulfilled because we have a false sense of security. Solomon says there's another kind of unfulfilled life. It's an unfulfilled life because we long for things. A longing. Look at verse 7. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. There is an internal longing in us for satisfaction. Right? How many of you get an itch and ignore it? Maybe if you have to for a couple of minutes, right? But if there's an itch, even if it's uncomfortable, even if you have to leave the room, you've got to scratch it, right? That's a little physical manifestation of a bigger eternal significance. You see, we've all got, Augustine talked about a God-shaped hole that only God... I want to talk about a God-shaped itch. We all have a God-shaped itch We have a need, a longing to be satisfied. And sometimes we try and find it 
in the things that we do in toil and work. Solomon has talked about this before. And so what he's talking about here now is a longing for satisfaction. In verse 7, all the toil of a man is for his mouth. Verse 9, better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. We might put it this way, pop culture reference again. I can't get no satisfaction. The philosophers, the Rolling Stones. And that's life here. You see, work itself has an element of longing. Even those of us that enjoy work still work to feed ourselves, right? We still work because we have to provide for our family. That's a part of work. Work and toil is to fill the mouth. And there's, a, there's sort of an interesting phenomenon here. You know, you work, you get money, you buy, you eat food, then what? You need more food. So you work, you get money, you buy food, you eat food, then guess what? You need more food. Then you get the picture, right? But it's this cycle, never being satisfied, constantly having to be dependent upon the Lord. And that external picture is true of the internal as well. You see, we have an internal longing that cannot be met apart from God. We can try and satisfy it. You might try and satisfy it with electronics, or with vacations, or with drugs, or with philosophy, or with books, or any number of things. But you know what? The next day you're going to wake up, and you're going to want something else. And you'll try something else, and the next day you're going to wake up. And you're going to want something else. That's how life works apart from God. There's an external longing that cannot be met. Our Lord put it this way. You're all familiar with it. And I think he was probably thinking about this verse, verse 7. When he said, man cannot live by bread alone. By every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. You see, we have a longing... And we think we can solve it by fixing the external. That's what Solomon says here. I get food for my mouth, yet my appetite's not satisfied. I can't get it. Man cannot live in this fashion. And in verse 9, <clears throat> Better is the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. Better is what you can see and what you can have and what you can rest in than always looking for the latest, greatest, best, next thing. Right? You've seen people do that. Maybe you've experienced it yourself. You've got something. It could be a pen that you like. It could be a car. It could be a Bible. And you see someone has something a little bit better. And even if you're not jealous about the fact that they have it, you think, ooh, i got to get me one of those pens. I really like that Bible. The pages are crisp and the look at them. Right? That car. Ooh. You see, we have this longing. Another pop culture reference. A more modern philosopher than the Rolling Stones said, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. Bono and you too. You see, we're always looking, and as soon as we find... Our eyes wander again. That's what Solomon says. We get, and we, as soon as we get, we look up and we wander again. That's what life is apart from God. Well, there's another kind of longing. It's a longing for advantages. Look at verse 8. It's not just a longing to be satisfied. It's a longing for advantages. For what advantage has the wise man over the fool? And what does the poor man have who knows how to conduct himself 
before the living. We're longing to get ahead. We think, well, if we could just build a better mousetrap, then surely we're secure because everyone will have to come to us. If I just get some wisdom and the practical kind, the kind that will put a couple of zeros in my bank account, the kind that will make people come and talk to me and make me seem important. But maybe I won't have wisdom. If I'm a poor man, I just need to know how to work the angles. That's what this means here. The poor man who knows how to conduct himself, knows how to walk before the living. You know who this is describing? Eddie Haskell. Y'all remember Eddie Haskell? Eddie was doing something, getting into trouble. Mr. and Mrs. Cleaver would come in, and what would Eddie do? Stop immediately what he was doing. Oh, Mrs. Cleaver, what a lovely dress you have on today. Oh, Mr. Cleaver, have you lost some weight? You see, he's playing the angles. He's trying to get satisfaction. He's trying to get an advantage by the way he knows how to play other people's emotions. That happens also all over the world today. There are even some in the visible church that use church membership as an advantage. They'll stand up and say, I believe in Jesus Christ, to get a contract with someone who's a church member. You see, this is what's found in the heart of those who are not seeking after God. And so I would encourage you to not try and get advantages over others, but to trust in the Lord and His security. There's a final longing Solomon talks about here. He's talked about a longing for satisfaction, a longing for advantage, and there's another longing that binds us up. It's a longing for control. Look at verse 10. Whatever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is and that he is no, not able to dispute with one stronger than he. What Solomon is saying here is the character of the world is settled. What is, is already named. The way the world is, it looks the same today as it did a thousand years ago, and a thousand years before that. We don't have control over the world. We can't manipulate the world. We can't fix humanity by fixing global warming. We can't fix all of the world's problems by finding the perfect drug. We cannot fix the world's problems and sin by putting a chicken in everybody's pot. These are things that man has tried over millennia. But you see, what is has already been named. And the nature of man doesn't change either. He says, it is known what man is. Man's a known quantity. We like to think, because our clothes are sharper, our soap smells better and we have more comforts, that we are fundamentally different in America today than the people in Israel several thousand years ago. That's not true. It's the same problems. Troubled marriages, disobedient children, dishonest businessmen, tragedy that strikes. Right? Just because you send your child off to a school and there's no roving band of barbarians sweeping through the area... You don't have to worry about the Chaldeans. You can go to UT or A&M, and the Chaldeans are not going to sweep through. But you see, you still can't be safe, because what was in man's heart in the days of the prophets is in man's heart today. There's wickedness. You see, the world doesn't change, but it's God who changes people in the world. You notice what the text says here? 
Man is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The text here is not talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger in his prime. The text here is talking about the strong one, the Lord God. Paul alludes to it in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 22, where he says, Listen, are you stronger than God? Do you really think so? That you can fight him? You see, God is stronger. He is the strong one. He is the one who changes hearts. He is the one who has control. He is the one that controls our lives. God has settled the way the world is. And all the talking in the world won't change that. That's how Solomon ends. He says, you can talk, 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 talk. More talk, more vanity. All kinds of talk. Talk about relativism. You can say, what is good? That doesn't come off the news. It comes out of the Bible. What is good? You could talk about a practical plan for your life. That's not a purpose-driven life that's out of the Bible. (coughs) For who can tell what will be? You see, you can talk and you can plan. But there's no security found there. There's no satisfaction found there. There's no fulfillment found there. It's life under the sun. Well, what does this mean for us then? Does that mean that we are hopeless? No, because as Solomon has said before, and he will say again, that there is not just the life under the sun. There is the life under heaven. There is the life lived out before God. The God who gives us the power to enjoy all the things. The God who says children are a blessing. The God who says, I will write your name on the palms of my hands. That will be your reputation. The God who says, I will satisfy all of your deep longings. That When you drink from this living water that I give you, you will never thirst again. Not you won't thirst a little bit, but you will never thirst again. The God who says, you will have every advantage because you are my child. You see, the answer is found in the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we toil for food to satisfy our mouths. But the Lord lays out a feast before us. He lays out a feast telling us to come and to eat, to have food that we don't work for, food that we don't pay for. That is the promise of God. That's what Solomon is pointing us to. He's pointing us away from ourselves, away from our circumstances, away from our desire to control life, and pointing us to the one who has all of the answers, all of the satisfaction, all of the blessings of life. Dwell upon that as we begin to prepare to partake of the blessings he's given to us in his table.